0: The church is a spiritual kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this age. And the kingdoms of this age are bound to the world. But we, the church, are otherworldly. We're bound to heaven. We're bound to the word and the spirit. Should we, therefore, resist the kingdoms of this world? Guy de Bray, the author of our Belgic Confession, when he and his reformed colleagues were being persecuted by the church, or excuse me, persecuted by the state, by Rome, the Roman state, the charge against the reformers was sedition. They were charged charged as political revolutionaries. The Anabaptists were political revolutionaries. The Anabaptists defied the state. They decried against the state, defied it, and Rome lumped us in with the Anabaptists in order to bring civil charges against us. And knowing this, Debray wrote, I quote, to the invincible King Philip, our sovereign Lord. We are, it is alleged, Disobedient rebels, intent only on the destruction of civil government, throwing the world into confusion and disorder, bent only on breaking free from your authority and power, indeed, on snatching the scepter from your hands. Crimes unworthy of our confession, unworthy of a Christian, indeed, unworthy of any man. End quote. The church is a spiritual kingdom in the midst of and under the kingdoms of this world. God created the world. It's his. And we must submit to both governments. You see, there is a twofold government in this world. There's a spiritual polity. There is a civil polity. And both derive their power from the same source, and that source is God. Both governments are legitimate and both governments are accountable to God. The goal of the church, the power of the church is grace. The goal of the church is salvation. The power of the governments of this world is goodness. The goal is the well-being of society. And we submit to both. 1 Samuel 24 is a fifth commandment story. 1 Samuel 24 is a fifth commandment story. And since society is an extension of the home, the apostle Peter commands the church to even honor the king. Honor mother and father, Peter says, even honor the king. Now, did Peter command the church to honor the king because Caesar was so godly, such a righteous Caesar such a devout man to God's word was any caesar godly does peter say first you need to overcome the state make the state christian and then honor the christian king no he says honor the emperor and he was evil the caesars would eventually light christians up like candles and use them in their celebrations burning bodies Do we only honor when governments are morally reasonable and just? That's the question for our text this morning. Do we only honor governments when they're morally reasonable and just? Paul's government, the government Paul was under, the same government that Peter was under, was wicked. But Paul said, let every person, let every person, let every Christian be subject to the governing authorities. We must show respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So my question to you this morning is do we only honor when governments are morally reasonable and just? And let's, let's see what David says. Verse 1 chapter 24 when Saul returned from following the Philistines he was told behold David is in the wilderness of the En Gedi. So Saul's spies report back to David on his or, or report back on David when he returns. And Saul wastes no time to go after uh, David. Then Saul, verse 2, it says, took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in the wild goats' rocks. It does appear that Saul took some time. He took some time to get the right men. The text says chosen men. He went around Israel and he got chosen men. He got the best men. He got the best force. He got the army rangers to go pursue and kill David. So surely David is not going to honor this king. These chosen men who went to seek his life. And it says, verse 3, he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. So he goes to the little boy's room. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Oh, no. Here's this chosen men. this Wonderful fighting force outside, outside of the cave. Here's Saul inside of the cave all by himself in a cave full of trouble. It's going to be very exciting. (laughs) It's going to be very exciting. Let's see what happens. And the men of David said to him, here's the day which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. It's as if God has worked. It's God's hand. God has delivered your enemy. It is now your time, David, to take the vengeance of the Lord. The Lord has placed the vengeance of God into your hand. Take your kingdom. Take the glory. And so David listened to his men. And it says, David arose and he stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe now the robe in the ancient world Saul's robe would have been a symbolism it was the symbolism of kingship and by cutting off a piece of Saul's robe David was symbolically David was symbolically taking the kingdom he was staking his claim on the kingdom. He now held in his hand possession of at least part of the kingdom. He had symbolically stripped Saul of the kingdom, or at least a piece of the kingdom. But he had also symbolically stripped Saul of the kingdom because he rendered the robe unlawful. Deuteronomy twenty-two twelve 12 says, you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment which you cover yourself. So in the ancient world, the law was your shirt had to have these four corners. And cutting off a corner, David caused Saul to be in violation of Torah. And it says that he immediately felt the regret of doing this. And afterwards, it says, verse 5, afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe His heart struck him. That is, his conscience struck him. Conscience comes from two Latin words, con, with, science, knowledge. Conscience, with knowledge. We sin with knowledge. David, with knowledge, sinned against the Lord. Or at least that's what he felt like. He felt like he sinned against the Lord. Now, we might be tempted to ask, was David's conscience too soft? I mean, we do far worse to our leaders today on Instagram and Facebook. Yet David immediately realized the symbolic gesture of the moment. He'd gone too far. He dishonored the king. And all the Americans in the room say, now I know why he's a man after God's own heart. (laughs) He did a don't tread on me. No, he violated God's word. Verse 6 says, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing. Now, underline that phrase, Lord forbid, or the clause, Lord forbid, because that's not an exclamation. That's not an OMG. That's the word of God. The Lord forbids. Exodus twenty-two, twenty-eight, 28, Torah says, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You see, a rebellion against rulers was a rebellion against God. He says, Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. That's the meaning of the Lord's anointed. Saul was God's king. God made him King. Lord forbid that I should go against the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he's the Lord's anointed. David realized he had defied God's decree. God's the kingmaker. Like the serpent in the garden who attempted to defy God's decree, who attempted to defy God the kingmaker, God was making Adam king. And the serpent defies that, he, he thought he won, but lo and behold, God still makes his kings, and God has made his king. Now, thankfully, God is not president maker. We're a democracy, electoral college made our president, so we can dishonor and curse as much as we like. Thankfully, God now allows us to curse our rulers. Matter of fact, after the pandemic, it seems that that is the virtue. Especially if we don't like to be inconvenienced by their policies. Are we called to corrupt the moral order God has established simply because we don't like those in charge? Belgian Confession states, I quote, Moreover, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word. Heidelberg goes so far to say that we must be patient with their failings. We must, as Christians, be patient with the failings, the infirmities of our leaders, Now, if our government, if the state seeks to overcome heaven, if it wants to charge and storm heaven, if the state tries to overcome God's word, if the state tries to set itself up equal to or greater than God, we resist. We'll resist, will we not? But if they simply exercise wisdom, if they simply exercise the wisdom of this world, the science of this age, the prudence of the world, the laws of the world, then we submit, even if we don't like it. Even if we're better scientists because we got Google and so forth, we still submit. And I'm not making this up. Turn with me to Romans. If your Bible's Romans, I think you know where we're going Romans 13. Paul says God's word, Romans 13, 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur God's judgment. You see, David obeyed Romans in 1 Samuel 24, and he repented of his sin, And then he worked to prevent his men from the same. Verse 7 says, so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack David. And so Saul escapes. Now, the action that David took against his men was more than just mere persuasion. The actual Greek, if I was to translate it literally, it would say something like this, David tore apart his men with words. That is, David had to hold back his... He had to tear them apart. He had to rebuke them. No. They wanted to spill blood, and David had to be equally forceful with his rebuke to cool their heads. And a lot of Christians today, I think, need the same forceful words to pull them away from the political pundits that are pulling their strings and leading them to want to curse and violate Romans 13. There is no authority except from God. I've heard a lot this year, we obey God rather than man, and I say amen, amen, but I've also heard in that a lot of not obeying God. It's one thing if the state wants to shelter the church unfairly. It's one thing if the state wants to shelter the church unfairly by not sheltering others but sheltering the church, then perhaps we obey God rather than man. But many have left the church because of masks. Masks. It's petty, it's disgraceful, it's unbiblical. Masks and anti masks are not a mark of the true church. And the ministry of the church is not fighting the cultural wars, getting involved in the cultural wars, which is really just a cult of celebrity. I'm not saying you can't complain. We're a democracy. God bless America. Complain, gripe, if that's what you're into. But don't curse, and then try to vote them out. But if not, honor, obey. Verse 8. Afterwards, David arose and went out to the cave and called Saul, my lord, the king. Notice the honor he pays to him. And when he looked behind him, David bowed. These are all expressions of submission and honor. He bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. So the text here is highlighting honor, loyalty. And what what David is trying to show Saul is that he's not his enemy. He's a servant. And now he makes the case. He carefully laid out his evidence, the evidence of his innocence. Verse 9, and David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your life? Why are you following this foolish counsel? Why are you following the counsel of fools? I'm no threat. I'm loyal. And so even here, as Saul was showing himself to be foolish, a foolish king, David would still be loyal. This is Heidelberg's be patient with their failings. Be patient with the infirmities of the state. Be patient with the infirmities of the government. David then presented evidence that showed that Saul's counsel was false. Verse 10, he says, Behold, this day your eyes have seen. You see, here's the evidence, material evidence. The Lord gave you into my hand in the cave, and they even told me to kill you. But I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, the evidence cannot be denied. It is true. The Lord put Saul into David's hand. David could have easily brought trouble. He could have easily harmed Saul, but he did not. Why did he not harm Saul when he's so easy? Any other person, any other, any other narrative, Saul would have been done. But not David. Why? Because David was not an Anabaptist. <laughs> David was a magisterial reformer. You see, the Reformation gave us two types of Protestant. There are two types of Protestant from the Reformation. There are the magisterial reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin. Martin Luther and Calvin saw the state as legitimate, accountable to God. But they protested the church. They had evil governments Their governments were far from good and pure, but they protested the church, and they sought to clean up the church while obeying their leaders. Then there's the radical reformation, the Anabaptists who sought to protest the church and the state to combine the two to really overcome the state by forcing it to be Christian and then protesting both. We are a magisterial reformed church. So we look, act, and think a lot differently from broad Christianity, which broad Christianity tends to be Anabaptist for lots of reasons. We can talk about that later. But we affirm the necessity and legitimacy of secular government. We believe that the government is accountable to God, and thus so are we. Accountable to God, yes, accountable to the government to which God has given us. Verse 11, the material evidence is given. Paul's playing lawyer here, really. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. The evidence was compelling. The glove didn't fit. Sorry, that's a 90s reference. You uh, millennials can go home and Google that later. Ask your parents. The glove didn't fit. Acquit. quit. <laughs> David saved Saul. David was loyal to the king, not a traitor. He was protector of the king, not conspirator. And he was motivated by faith. You see, David treated the king properly, not because of anything the king had done or would do. This is important. David treated the king properly, not because of the king, not because of who the king was and what the king would do, but because of what the Lord had done. He's the Lord's anointed. The Lord made him king. David's respect for human authority was based on his respect for divine authority. And here, David obeyed Peter. 1 Peter 2.13, listen, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake, not because of the king, not because you love Biden and you voted for him, you think he's the most wonderful man in the world, but for the Lord's sake, every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, be subject for the Lord's sake to your government. And we know that every hint. We know that every human institution is sinful. Yet we are to be subject anyway, why? Faith. We know that God is in control. This is his world. God's in control. Verse 12, David says, may the Lord judge. See, he's in control. May the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you but my hand shall not be against you. I will not be against you. Verse 13, he says, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. I will not be against you. See, David appealed to this proverb. He appeals to this ancient proverb to show this ancient proverb, out of wickedness comes wickedness. He quotes this ancient proverb to show us today that he was obeying Romans 12. Turn with me to Romans 12. Where's Romans 12? There it is. Romans chapter 12. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. This is a good highlight text. Paul writes, if possible, so far as it depends on you, as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, or do not be overcome by evil. That's that ancient proverb. That Paul's quoting here, out of wickedness comes wickedness. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David is saying, I will not harm the king. I have not harmed the king, could not harm the king, because I am committed to God. I'm committed to his word. I'm committed to his authority. Verse 15, he says, may the Lord therefore judge. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David's authority was higher than Saul's, so he appealed to heaven. He appeals to heaven to be the judge. He says, may heaven judge. May heaven give the sentence. May heaven see my cause and may heaven deliver me. And this is the secret to David's guilt. This is why he was guilty. This is why his conscience convicted him. This was the secret to his loyalty to the king. And this was the secret to his patience. And here's the secret. David was a Calvinist. (laughs) He was. He knew all things were ultimately in God's hand. He knew that God ordained his leaders. God ordains our leaders. And when our leaders are wicked, God ordained them. And when they are wicked, he ordained them not so that we can become revolutionaries, but that we would pick up our cross, that we would bear the burden of the cross. So we pick up our cross and we cast all our care upon him as we honor our government. But pastor, what if we're wronged? What if the government wrongs us? Then we turn the other cheek, take up faith, and trust that God will execute his vengeance. Is this not the way of Christ? And isn't Jesus Christ the final word for 1 Samuel 24? Who was tempted like David. He was tempted like David to sin against the Lord. The devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said, all this glory I will give to you. But you got to take it my way. You got to take it the way of glory. You got to take it my way. And so, like David's men in the cave, Christ was tempted to go his own way. Yet, Christ knew that glory came through obedience. And he received the kingdoms of this world and their splendor through the humiliation of the cross. He submitted. He freely submitted to Pontius Pilate and was crucified, dead and buried. And by the condemnation of that temporal judge, we have been delivered from severe judgment, the severe judgment of which, uh, the severe judgment of heaven to which we are all exposed. We are all exposed to the wrath of God. And judgment comes in this world, in this age or the next. So look to Christ, for he has made satisfaction for sins. He overcame death that we might be partakers of his righteousness. He overcame death that we might be made righteous in his name. And he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead for our justification, for our righteousness. He was raised, he sits in heaven, sitting in heaven. The empty tomb is now proof that we are otherworldly. We belong to the age to come. This is not our home, we're exiles. We're sojourners here, living in the midst of the kingdoms of this age, sojourners, exiles. Yet under, for although we are already glorified in heaven with Christ, not yet, we're still here. And so we come, and we wait and ascended into heaven. Christ is there to continue on our behalf to rule this world. And we submit to the rule of, the, of Christ. We submit to the rule of Christ by obeying our government. And we know that it's temporary. Government's accountable to God and they are temporary. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. So kiss the son lest you perish in the way. So Jesus' word to us through First Samuel 24 is, Give unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. Fifth commandment. And to God that which belongs to God, which is obedience to the fifth commandment. For we will only have one God, and we serve only one God, no other God. And now to the king, eternally immortal, invisible, be glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit missoulaurc.com. That's missoulaurc.com.